Good day to you. This is Mark Mullinax. Thank you for joining this podcast called Power for the Peaceful, our long march at the steady pace of one verse per week through the 81 verses of my translation of Tao Te Ching, Power for the Peaceful, copyright 2021 by Fortress Press. Your reading my translation is not a prerequisite for this class, but it's always appreciated. Today, Verse 33, The Way to Endure. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. Sweet sound of the river as she moves over the stones. The same song that the blood in your body sings as it weaves around your bones. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? Declare your jihad on 13 enemies you cannot see. Egoism, arrogance, conceit, selfishness, greed, lust, intolerance, anger, lying, cheating, gossiping, and slandering. If you can master and destroy them, then you will be ready to fight the enemy you can see. A quote by Al-Ghazal. Welcome again. Today I have no additional voice, schedule conflict on my part, but we do have a great verse, this verse 33. It teaches about how to normalize Tao awareness in one's life. Part one in this endeavor is to focus on the necessary. Part two is to get rid of the unnecessary, to make more room for more necessary. This interplay between the necessary and the unnecessary yields wisdom. Wisdom is practice like breathing. You take in necessary air to your lungs and then exhale the spent breath, making room for the next necessary breath. This metaphor's two-step process, allowing the necessary and then expelling the unnecessary, can accompany us in many endeavors. Studying for tests, having a healthy diet, keeping a relationship going. So much wisdom in just following these two steps. One, identifying and dwelling in necessity. And two, discarding the unnecessary. In a word or two, discernment or insight into how to live wisely from this point on. So let's hear today's verse. Verse 33, the way to endure, part one. Understanding others is intelligent. Understanding oneself is enlightened. Conquering others shows off one's force. Conquering oneself shows one's authority. The one content with sufficiency is truly wealthy, and the one who acts resolutely is already successful. Centered in one's original belonging place, one endures, even in dying one does not perish. Another translation, that of Ron Hogan's, puts the same verse like this. He writes, 
Knowing things make you smart, but knowing yourself makes you wise. To rule others, you must be powerful, but to rule yourself, you must be strong. If you have only what you need, you have true wealth. If you never give up, you will find a way. If you stay true to yourself, you will never be lost. If you stay alive your whole life, you've really lived. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? First, understanding others can be seen as shrewd and astute. Not to belittle our fellow capitalists, but one value of capitalism is knowing one's target audience. Through surveys, opinion polls, etc., this knowledge enables one to sell your product better by making that product appear custom-made for that audience. Nothing wrong in this per se. However, one's energy is focused on a narrow and transactional purpose to match buyer and seller for an exchange of money and product. And that's it, not much else. The relationship is functional in a very narrow sense. And the true intentions of this relationship is not often made clear or transparent. Just look at how algorithms on social media focus upon keeping your eyeballs glued to their product. But the goal is small, to transfer money from the social media consumer to the social media maker. Not much other interests lie here, like getting to know the full range of who the consumer is. One name for this one-sided arrangement is deception. Now, understanding others does not have to be a one-sided relationship among unequals. It is good to understand others widely and deeply, to know where they come from, what their hopes, dreams, and fears are. Understanding others, you practice how to be there for that other person and not just harvest who they are for one's own purposes. Being there for others without an agenda means that we can practice wide and deep understanding of others. This is called accepting others on their own terms, which is kind of like what we'd like others to do for us, right? However, this is only half of verse 33's teaching here. We're asked now to turn the mirror of understanding around and gaze at ourselves. In other words, to achieve understanding of oneself, which is much harder than to understand others. We've heard these ancient wisdoms like to thine own self be true and the life without self-examination is not a human one, one not worth living. We've mentioned here already how we are much quicker at projecting our own attitudes, judgments, and values upon others than we are at introspecting our true nature. This very introspection is not easy, but is what this verse calls enlightened and wise. Why is that? For in such introspection, we come to discriminate between what is foreign in us and what is our native true source. And who's not in favor of that? Sun Tzu in his Art of War phrased it like this. So it is said that if you know others and know yourself, you will not be imperiled in a hundred battles. If you do not know others and do not know yourself, you will be imperiled in 
every single battle, from Sun Tzu's The Art of War. So weigh your commitments. Who is it one really needs to know better, self or others? In marriage, which is the more important skill? Knowing your life partner is good, of course, yes, but knowing oneself is far more constructive of a healthy, long-term relationship. But we marry, I hope, in order to learn who we ourselves are. The word I want to introduce here is the correctly understood definition of discriminate. I speak not of discrimination in its negative sense when we project ourselves onto others and then judge others by our own internal, secret, and unexamined criteria. Instead, the way I want to talk about discrimination is that ability to see the difference between two things or people, especially if those two things happen to thrive or live in one person. But these two things are often at cross purposes. Would you not want to know if there are things or energies at cross purposes in you? What happens if you don't? Other words that explain the second way of discrimination include being canny, clear-headed, judicious, long-sighted, reasoned, and responsible. We're talking about choosing the better of two or more alternatives in your body or your psyche or on your path. Like a person who shows a discriminating sense in their reading habits. In other words, we're back to karma, sowing the seeds that bring a good harvest weeks, months, even years in the future. The discriminating person knows better, a skill set that just grows and grows until it makes one just plain wise, able to actually see into the future and be able to say with real intention, yes or no. The wise person just knows by mining their experience that a donut and cola for breakfast means a sugar crash in the very near future and health problems in the long run. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? Second, using force to overcome or to conquer others, as we've seen in verses 30 and 31, is not Tao. In such forcing of others, do we not put up an invisible firewall between our outward actions of forcing and dominating and the often hidden and psychic sources of our actions. Think with me, when in the heat of overcoming others, how likely are we to engage in active introspection and self-examination? Not very. We are much more focused on winning or surviving, and that at all costs. And notice how focused we can get on only one thing, something without a future. Conquering others may actually be easier, or at least seem more plausible and possible than to conquer oneself. The Tao path here, however, means identifying and taming our inner demons, rather than focusing just on identifying and taming outside enemies. Some people might call this process by a rather strong word, but I like it, exorcism. Exorcism is a great word to describe this good introspection and discrimination. 
The force we use for lasting change in the world is a force on ourselves and not on others. I'll repeat that. The force we use for lasting change in the world is a force on ourselves, not a force on others. We act with Tao to become integrated within, to speak with one undivided voice. Because purity of heart, wrote Soren Kierkegaard, is to will one thing. Not to be this way on one day and another way on the next day. What we fail to discriminate and overcome in ourselves lies in weight within, slowly growing and eventually conquering or overcoming us. Three quotes here that might amplify this. The first is by Machona Diliwayo. One who conquers others is great. One who conquers the world is mighty. But one who conquers himself is divine. You have not conquered anyone significant until you conquer yourself. Then by Sir Edmund Hillary, the first white person to ascend Mount Everest. It's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. And then from Plato, the first and greatest victory is to conquer yourself. To be conquered by yourself is of all things the most shameful and vile. A strong and resolute will means we regularly bring the force of our character and person into a close introspection of ourselves. Our mission in Taoism, and for the rest of our lives for that matter, is to build up our BS meters, to be able to filter out what is not helpful to self, or what is harmful to others, or what is uncaring to the world. This is a never-ending process of discrimination, to frame things rightly in our thinking, and to translate right thinking into helpful action. And then, and here's the key, to build this never-ending discrimination into a lifelong practice, lifelong habits. I entitled verse 33 in my translation, The Way to Endure, because the way is the Tao. So here's the Tao of endurance. Such Tao-inspired endurance implies a never-ending, ever-relentless, two-part struggle within oneself to first identify and keep to the wise and then second, to discard all that does not lead to wisdom. In other words, identify what is good and what is BS and eliminate the BS. Why? So that more good may then emerge from within us. Good that is already there within, but just needs more practice to join our wisdom mindset. Our verse talks about having enough. How do you know when you have enough? Our verse's phrasing of this is being content with sufficiency. That's a rare character trait today, to be content with sufficiency. To know when to say enough and when enough is enough. And learning to appreciate what we already are and already have. These are not widely practiced virtues these days. Because our culture ever repeats to us in whispered tones, be more by getting more. Acquire and you'll have the recognition and power you've always desired. To be more, one must get one's rightful share of life's shiny objects, right? Well, what if everyone alive today 
sought to acquire and acquire and acquire still more. Where does that hamster wheel take one? I mean, today's standards for what is considered necessary. Electricity, indoor plumbing or phones, all common and considered essential in today's late-stage capitalist world. These would have been unheard of luxuries 150 years ago. It would take the resources of two Earths just to have everyone on the planet live like I do in my country. So what is sufficiency? So maybe our homework is to do a material inventory of all that one has and think about how really necessary this list was to our grandparents or to their grandparents. Has all such stuff made us happier, more fulfilled, wiser? Finally, knowing that we will die one day is not a morbid exercise, but a path to wisdom and enduring. I, at my age, often think, what if this is the last time I get to do something, like hug my granddaughters, take a road trip with my daughter, see this bright, high October sky? Such thoughts are not gloomy thoughts, but real ones. The thought of death done often and well, is not anxiety-raising, but actually anxiety-reducing. We practice what we want to become, right? And thinking, meditating about death, is, I think, the best discriminative activity you can do to become wise. Fear lessens when one becomes more intimate with one's death, a date that one cannot deny forever. What daily meditation upon death does is actually solidifies one's place in life as a living, creating, wondrous being. This knowing that life has a sunset, to know that we have an end, a death, that's wisdom. It keeps you focused on the necessary, the authentic, and helps you get rid of the BS. Knowing of one's inevitable date with death means the present moment can be full of life, wisdom, integrity, and much less BS. A quote from Teresa of Avila. It is foolish to think that we will enter heaven without entering into ourselves. So in conclusion, living with Tao is wise. Living without Tao can mean a life populated by fear, impoverished thinking, enemy-making, and all kinds of other ways of living that have no future and make one's present existence a diminished and burdened life. There is at our core an energy that is eternal. It has no sunrise and no sunset date. And living eternally with authenticity, with integrity and wisdom, this is one's eternal life that one lives, not after you die, but right here, right now. You don't have to die to achieve such wisdom. It's here. It is now. We may live wisely, not according to the latest dictates of a mad culture, because in the end, living without Tao is to live a forgetful life, as last episode's topic exploring how the word forget is Taoism's chief corruption or corrosive practice. Not forgetting, but living wisely with remembering means you create a legacy that outlasts your body. For here's the karmic truth. Your children and their children and their children 
are influenced by whatever it is that we do and don't do today. What we do, what we forget, what we remember matters. And as our verse concludes, centered in one's original belonging place, one endures. Even in dying, one does not perish. This podcast is a freely offered, original labor of love, designed, written, and co-produced by many whose central idea is that Tao Te Ching text and Taoist practices are good news for today. Tao still speaks. Thank you, Audrey Davis, for your art. Thank you, Molly Hartwell, for singing. Fortress Press holds the copyright for any use of my Tao Te Ching translation. Thank you for being here. May your days begin in peace and become laboratories for the memory of how to live these days. Are you listening? Are you listening?